how does it read to you? The way that we approach scripture will greatly determine the outcome that we have in our reading of it. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and competence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning in to the 66th episode of Working with the Word. Today, we're excited to share with you an interview with Doy Moyer about how to read Scripture. We hope it's as helpful for you as it was for us. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. I'm here with Jeff and a special guest today, Doy Moyer. Dr. Moyer is joining us with a conversation today about reading scripture with the right frame of mind. We're looking forward to talking about that. Doy has been a Christian for about 40 years and has preached for 36 of those years, most recently in Birmingham, Alabama. He also taught for 14 years at Florida College and recently moved back to Tampa, where he began teaching at Florida College for a second time. Doy and his wife, Lori, have three grown children and seven grandkids. He's a very careful writer and an insightful student of the word, which comes out in all his speaking and his writing. And I think our conversation today will show that as well. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No pressure at all. I want to begin by just thinking about some of the how, I think most of our questions, they are how kind of questions. We're looking to try to equip ourselves and equip others and encourage each other as we read God's word. And just thinking with that right frame of mind of how do we read the Bible with the desire of really just wanting to know God? We can easily get distracted with maybe our own ideas or some of the ways that we just throw ourselves off center from that, hopefully being a main goal. So what would you say to someone who wants to be encouraged to just read the Bible with that simple purpose of knowing the Lord? Uh, just let me back up a little bit in general terms. Um, my favorite place to start with Bible study is in Luke 10, where the lawyer comes to Jesus in verse 25 and asks him what the great commandment in the law is, or, or what shall I do to inherit eternal life, and uh, connects to the great commandment here. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus' answer is, you know, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? And that question, how does it read to you, really I think sticks out, uh, is really important here. Uh, of course, it's this occasion, you know, he answers correctly, love God with all your heart, gives the great commandment. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, well, do this and, and you'll, you know, live. And of course, this, this is what prompts the, the parable of the Good Samaritan when he's asking, well, who's my neighbor? But, but I just want to kind of get that question out in front of us uh, to begin with, how does it read to you? Uh, what, is, what is the reading of it? Because the, the way that we approach uh, Scripture will, will greatly determine the outcome that we have in our reading of it. And maybe we'll talk more about that uh, as we go. But the, the simple idea of knowing God, I, I guess maybe it's not so simple, um, because there's a difference between knowing God and uh, knowing about God. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot we can learn about God, and there are people who know things about God. That's not the same as knowing God. 
knowing God requires a, a little deeper connection to, to who God is and what the relationship is that we have with him. You know, 1 John 2 talks about those who would claim to know God, but then don't obey him, for example. Knowing God means that we, we have a, a fellowship, a relationship with God. And so there, there is an intentional reading of scripture that says, I, my intention is to draw near to God, to draw closer to God and not merely learn facts about God. Uh, now, the facts are important. The knowledge is important. But if that's where I stop, then it really becomes kind of a pointless exercise. I learned a few facts about who God is, but I didn't really connect to why he wants me to know those facts. Mm -hmm. So the, there has to be some intentional uh, reading, intentional purpose, uh, purposes behind why I'm trying to understand God better. And I think to do that, of course, uh, there, there's several things that I think are involved in that. Um, and one would be recognizing that there's kind of this holistic approach to revelation. That is to say that it's easy to, to pick out one or two stories and say, well, this is God. This is what God does. This is who God is. And maybe not connect ourselves to other aspects of who God is. One of the things I like to talk about is the, the issue of uh, really what it, what it means when we talk about who God is. Because I would contend that those who deny God will almost always uh, straw man God, bring up one or two characteristics of God, and then ignore other things that help explain those characteristics, uh, mm -hmm. rather than seeking to under, understand God holistically, which means that I need, I need some way of approaching Scripture in a way that helps me understand all of it and not just a section or portion of that. That includes the Old Testament uh, as it sets up the story for the New Testament. So, so there's, there's several things about that that I think are, are just significant because there's a danger in picking out things and ignoring others. And my point is that we really can't know God unless we take it as a whole picture mm -hmm. and, and yeah. not just part it out. Yeah, so what would be an example of of how, how to do that, just practically speaking in our Bible study and reading, how do we make sure we're looking at the whole thing rather than picking out certain things? Well, you know, we study the Old Testament sometimes in our Bible classes, and we say, well, look at this story. Um, look at the story of uh, the Israelites coming in and, and destroying the Canaanites or, or whatever it may be. What, what I would encourage us to do is when we study those things, we still find the connections to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because I think what we have to understand about Scripture is, is it's driving us to, to look at Jesus. And, and it's, you know, if, if all we're doing are studying Old Testament stories, for example, and, and we're not seeing where those stories are taking us, then we're missing something. So I think, I think we have to be intentional about asking ourselves, well, how does this connect to, to who Jesus is? And how is this fulfilled in Jesus? Because that's, you know, at the end of Luke 24, when Jesus makes his point to the disciples there, you know, all things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's showing that all the scriptures uh, all 
parts of the scriptures were pointing to him. So we, we have to be asking those questions, uh, at least. What, what is it about this that teaches me why we're driving to Jesus here? Uh, how does this connect me to, to the rest of the story, in other words? So that, that would be one important element of that, I think. And would it be fair to say that that's not necessarily like, uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to read one Old Testament story now, and I'm necessarily going to see it all in a whole new light just one time. Well, I, no, I, you yeah. know, Bible study involves uh, reading and reading and reading. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I tell people, you know, if you're going to study a, a passage, don't just read it once and don't just read it out of context, but read it multiple times in context. Yes. Uh, you might not have time to read the entire book of Genesis in one <laughs> sitting every time you, you sit down, but, but you can be reading with that intention of seeing the bigger story in place. Yeah. Uh, the, the scriptures tell us a story. <clears throat> And of course, story just means a narrative. Basically, it's it's you know, story can be true or false. We believe to be true, but the Bible tells us a story that that drives us from point A to point B, and we have to try to see the the connections that are going on between these stories that that bring us to this point where we see Jesus. And we don't if we don't do that, we're gonna, we're going to be missing the the connection. The we're, if we're not connecting those dots. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see things kind of in a, a partial way and probably draw some conclusions that we might not ought to be ought to be drawing. Yeah, but I think that we can hopefully be encouraged to say maybe if that hasn't been our mindset when we're approaching the scripture, that given some time of trying to work with that new mindset, you know, we can come to understanding of that. You know, sometimes I'll speak for myself. I think about I'm trying to, you know, see more of the bigger picture. And so I read my Deuteronomy passage right now and I read it, you know, once or twice. And I think I'm still not seeing the bigger picture. I get frustrated, but the scriptures are meant to be kind of a lifetime of, you know, looking at the picture of Jesus, looking to draw to know God. It's not meant to be just a one time read through Harry Potter and then be done with it. And it's a very different kind of story, right? Well, I think about it like, uh, you know, Richard Hayes in his book, Reading Backwards, talks about this concept of, uh, you know, you read through something once and then you, you see its conclusion and that conclusion forces you to go back and reread it and see it through the eyes of that conclusion. So in the case of Jesus, I think, I think the book of Luke is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to Luke 24 and you see Jesus making that point about all the scriptures pointing to him, he fulfills all of this. It, he makes some connections back to the first two chapters just by making those points. It forces you to go back yeah. and look at it again. But now you're looking at it through fresher eyes. You're looking at it through the eyes of, of Jesus. And I would say the same principle holds true when you're reading a book like Genesis. Uh, you can read through the book of Genesis and yes, you, you get certain understandings and impressions about God and, and all that. But now you come into the new Testament and you read in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now that forces me to go back to Genesis and read it through the eyes of, of, of John's understanding of Jesus. Right. And that, that 
opens up all kinds of new ideas then. <clears throat> so ultimately, uh, as Christians, we're reading the Old Testament Christologically. We're reading the Old Testament uh, through the eyes of, of what Jesus did in fulfilling everything, all things being fulfilled through him. So I think, I think it's helpful to, to kind of see that and, and, again, kind of get that holistic concept of how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. And then, and then when I'm reading Genesis, in Genesis 1, I'm, I'm reading about what Jesus did. Yeah. I'm reading about what the Spirit did. Or if I'm reading about uh, Judah in the last part of Genesis, I'm, I'm seeing something there that maybe I didn't see before, that Judah really is kind of the main character of that last part of Genesis. Uh, and there's reasons for that. You know, it's pointing us to something greater. Mm-hmm. So we, we, if we see it kind of in that light, I think it helps us, you know, see that bigger picture better, uh, understand that there was a driving purpose to these stories. Yeah, so as we're thinking about trying to know God in, in all of his aspects, I mean, God himself is a very complex being that we're trying to come to know. And so he can't be summarized in just one single story of the Bible. We have to understand the whole thing. But let's also factor into this um, another aspect, and that's God's authority, because I think that that's an important part of reading scripture as well. So, so how do we read the Bible for the purpose of understanding God's authority and kind of as a, as a way to begin that? Why, why is it important to recognize God's authority whenever we approach the Bible? Well, I, I would say first, kind of go back to the, one of the first points we made a moment ago, read it. When, when you read it, you see God's authority shining through. And then, and then you kind of get a sense of how to listen to that. So I think about the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, the people heard Jesus speak. They understood he spoke with authority and they were amazed uh, at that. Or when you're reading a you know, passage like Mark 2 and, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Well, only God can forgive sins. Well, you know, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you, you see God's authority uh, coming through the text ver- pretty much every page. Uh, and, and so we're, we're trying to understand that. But I think, I think that connects us back to understanding something about who God is. If I understand something about the nature of God and his character, who he is as the creator, that tells me up front that he has inherent authority. Mm-hmm. He, as the creator, he, we belong to him. Life and death belong to him. He has the right to tell us what to do, how to think, how to act, speak, walk, talk, dress. I mean, he has the right to do those things by virtue of who he is. So that authority, uh, I think, comes through right from the very first passage. And then that's, you know, again, reaffirmed uh, throughout. You see the difference between, and this again connects to knowing God, because you see the difference between general revelation, the heavens declare the glory of God, and special revelation. Um, We can go out and understand something about the nature of God by looking at creation. What we can't know is the will of God by looking at creation. Mm -hmm. I can know that God is powerful, but what what I can't know, these are the specific things God wants me to do. Uh, I, I need special revelation to know those things. So 
when we understand the nature of, of, you know, how then God communicates with us, again, I, I see a, a direct connection between the authority of God and knowing God, because um, if I'm going to understand God's authority and know him, all of that, again, culminates in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. He is the ultimate revelation of God, and he is the one who acts and speaks with authority all authority given to me in heaven and earth, he says in Matthew 28. Um, he is the son of man figure in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He comes before the ancient of days and receives the authority and dominion and power. And so I'm, I'm reading with that sense of, you know, th this is not just um, a God of my own making. Mm -hmm. It's not just my will coming through and then me trying to get God to rubber stamp what I want. Uh, this is recognizing uh, something about the nature of God. And when I do that, I, I have to realize that, you know, I, I'm nothing. What am I? Uh, what is man that you're mindful of him? Uh, so I'm, I'm coming, trying to come to him with, with a spirit of, I'm, I'm ready to listen. You know, here I am, kind of like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Here am I, you know, send me. Uh, so instead of superimposing my desires and my will onto him, I'm, I'm wanting to listen to him, give me his will. And that, that can be tricky sometimes because mm -hmm. I don't want to dress my will up and say, well, this is God's will, but that's, you know, the danger is, is just that we create a, a, a new idol mm -hmm. in our minds and say, this is, this is the God that I'm going to serve because he, he rubber stamps what I like. So yeah, there's a, there's an inherent danger, I think, in, in refusing the authority of God. I was just writing the other day about Diotrephes, you know, who, who refused the authority of the apostles basically, and, and uh, imposed his will upon the congregation. Mm -hmm. And that's always a danger. And at the end of the day, we're going to listen to somebody's authority. The thing about authority is there's, there's no escaping it. You can't say, well, I don't, I don't listen to anybody's authority. Yeah, you do. You, you either listen to your own authority or some other person's authority, or you listen to God's authority. Uh, you can't escape uh, that. The question is, who has the right to have that authority? And it has to start with God. When we think about authority, sometimes we, we may tend to view it in a, in a negative light where authority is, I think maybe today the common perception is that it's a negative thing or it's inherently oppressive or abusive or something. And certainly there are examples of that kind of thing in our world. Um, but that shouldn't color our view of God's authority, right? When we talk about God's authority, we're talking about something that is very different. Well, there, there are kind of hot button terms that we create in our culture authority is one of them because we we often conflate authority with authoritarianism and bad authority we we react to bad authority because of that well but if god god's authority is not bad authority that's you know the the major difference there's always a danger of human being having bad authority uh but if god if if we take god for who he is has all wisdom, knowledge, power, and understanding. He has a right because of who he is, but he also is a loving, gracious God. We, you know, we start to, to kind of uh, line all those things up. Again, uh, 
and we see the culmination of that in Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, then we shouldn't react to God's authority in, in a negative way because he has, he has that right, and he's loving and gracious about that. A judge might take bad authority because he might impose his own will on something, but you know, the people say, what's the difference? Well, God, the, the difference with God is there's no one greater. You know, it's kind of like Hebrews 6. Um, you know, he swore by himself because he could swear by no one greater. There's no greater authority to whom uh, God can appeal. So there's, you know, I don't take it now negatively. I, I'm very thankful for it because he's not a God who's, who's capricious or arbitrary. Uh, everything is purposed uh, with him. And he's going to be gracious and always do the right thing in the end. Kind of, you know, Abraham's attitude, you know, you, you're, mm -hmm. God's always going to do what's right. Absolutely. So one, one more question on this, trying to understand God's authority. This, again, is more of a how to apply this question. Sometimes in our Bible study or Bible reading, we may have a hard time balancing devotional reading and doctrinal study or doctrinal reading and are trying to understand the nuts and bolts of our faith and what God expects of us. So how do we balance those or bring those together to help us know God and his authority? Yeah. One of the things that I've thought about over the years is kind of our use of the term doctrinal. The, the Bible doesn't really use the term doctrinal to set off a specific set of doctrines uh, doctrine just means teaching. So in a sense, every devotional teaching is also, is also doctrinal. But on the other hand, there's always the danger that I'm looking at a teaching strictly to get the facts of it so that I know here's what I'm supposed to believe. And I might be doing that without intending to let that really impact and affect me like it ought to. So in this slide, I think about a passage like Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. You know, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, the judge of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I see that, honestly, as bigger than just the Bible. I mean, Jesus is the word. And so ultimately, uh, you have this this great impact of Jesus and his written message and, and all that. In fact, the, the connection between God and his word is, is made clear in verse 13, because he says, there is no creature hidden from his side. It moves from the word to God himself. And so you have this, this intimate connection between God's message and God himself, uh, ultimately through Jesus, as he says in, in chapter one and verse one. And the reason that's important for this is because we may find ourselves, I've, I've heard it put this way, basically, we spend so much time taking apart the word of God, studying phrase by phrase, word by word, doing word studies, doing all these things with it, that we, we may forget to let the word of God take us apart and put us back together. Hmm. The word of God is the judge and in thoughts of, of our thoughts and intentions. So we make ourselves the judge of the word of God rather than let it kind of impact us. And that's where the danger, I think, lies with this. Uh, I can study something and say, here is the right position. You know, this is, this is the position I'm supposed to take. But am I really letting that impact me? Am I really letting that judge my heart? Am I, am I letting it get inside of me? 
uh, you know, James one talks about uh, imbibing the word of God, which is able to save your souls. Uh, so it's not just a strict knowledge that I'm after. It's, it's actually a, a, a deeper understanding so that I can have it impact me the way that it ought to. So I think that's, I think that's really the key to, uh, to this point. Yeah. I, I really like that quote of thinking about letting God's word take us apart. Um, that's, that sounds scary, but I think that's <laughs> part of what Hebrews four is about, right? Is that it's going to affect us and in a sense, cut well, us and, to pieces and make and us in that light, by the way, I would, I would suggest, you know, going through the Psalms and, and seeing how the various Psalms really hit that same kind of point. Yeah. Test me, know my heart, try mm-hmm. me, uh, let God, you know, I mean, he's, he's going to know what's in our hearts and minds anyway. Mm-hmm. So be compliant with that and, and give ourselves over to that so that we can be honest about it. And then that'll begin to change the way that we think and act. Our third question along in our conversation is, as we think about reading the reading scripture with the right frame of mind, we want to make sure that we have what we're thinking about as an open mind. Emerson, I think you used the quote in our discussions as something about the fact of we want to have an open mind, but not so much that our brains fall out or something like that to the fact that, you know, we're not going to just be so open to anything and everything that we're missing the point of scripture. I think what we're getting at with this is the idea of presuppositions, how they affect our reading. We all have presuppositions. You may like to think if we've grown up in a church, we don't have that, but we just means we have a different kind of presupposition than somebody else. So what does that mean, reading with an open mind? What are presuppositions? How do they affect you? I know it's a couple of questions in a way, but uh, yeah. let's talk about this idea. Well, I mean, presuppositions, uh, you just kind of take that word apart. You presuppose that something is true before you even look at evidence for it. Yeah. Now, the reality is that we all have presuppositions. Nobody can escape that. We would like right. to think we can, but the reality is we all have biases. We all have presuppositions. It's like someone said, it's not that you know one has a bias and the other doesn't. The question is, which bias is the best bias with which to be biased? <laughs> um, you know, What's your starting point? That's my question. What's your starting point? Uh, when you look at, uh, for example, the way critics might approach the gospel accounts, if, if you presuppose before you even look at the accounts, if you presuppose that miracles are impossible, for example, or that the supernatural can have no bearing on the natural, then you read the gospels, you're, you're already going to conclude that they can't be true. Your, your presupposition requires that conclusion. But that's not evidence driving the conclusion. That's, that's your presupposition driving your conclusion. To me, the issue with presuppositions is, can I be honest about them? Can I lay those presuppositions on the table and say, yes, I have these presuppositions. Uh, are they reasonable? Uh, is, is it the right starting point? And, and really, when you, when you boil down even an issue like atheism versus theism, it really boils down to this kind of question. What am I going to allow as reality, the, the bottom line of reality here? Uh, 
do I accept that there is a mind that created and made us and gave us uh, a moral compass and all of that? Or do I accept that mindless, purposeless, accidental processes are responsible for bringing us to this point? Uh, that's, that's really kind of the bottom line with, with discussions like that. Mm-hmm. So if I start with one presupposition and I come to the Bible, will that presupposition even allow me to entertain the question of whether or not this is true uh, before I even look at the evidence? Mm-hmm. So my favorite passage to, to go to on this is Acts 17. And the reason for that is because you, you have actually a very clean way, I think, of, of looking at three different attitudes that are found here. Mm-hmm. So you got, you know, the first nine verses when they go into Thessalonica, and you have the, the Jews here who are jealous, and, you know, they begin dragging brethren out in the street and, you know, persecuting and so on. And their attitude that, uh, you know, these men who've up- upset the world have come here too. It's clear that they're not in any position to listen to whether or not the, the, Jesus is true. They've decided ahead of time that that you know, can't be the truth, and so they're going to react uh, accordingly. Or my dad used to say that this, what represents this attitude is the question, is it old? <laughs> is this what we've heard before? We don't, we don't want to hear anything new. We only want to hear what we've already heard. And, and so we're not willing to entertain anything that's different from what we already know. Well, that's one attitude. Of course, you go to the end of the book, end of the chapter, rather, and you have the kind of the opposite attitude with the, with the uh, Athenians. And Paul comes in and says, let me talk to you about the God you don't know, which, by the way, is a great passage, I think, to start with the question of who is God. Mm-hmm. That one phrase uh, that he that he gives in there, you know, as though he needed anything, I think is is pretty insightful to the question of who is God. He doesn't need anything. He, he doesn't need more knowledge or wisdom or power. There's nothing we can give him. He's got it all. So you, you, that's kind of a starting point. But at the end of that, of course, he brings in the resurrection and judgment. That's when some of the Athenians say, well, you know, we will, maybe we'll listen to this again or we won't. But it specifically describes the Athenians as those who basically only want to hear something new. So you have this attitude of, you know, we don't want to hear that because it's traditional, it's old, we've already heard it before maybe or whatever, let's, let's only hear new things. Some people have presuppositions that won't permit them to listen to anything that's, you know, already been taught. Yeah. So you have those two kind of extremes. You got, is it old, is it new? And of course, right in the middle, you got the Bereans in uh, verses 10 and 11, where their question, of course, is, is it true? And so the text describes them as uh, noble-minded, receiving the word of God with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And that's the question we need to be asking, not have I already heard this before, or not is it something that's new? I mean, that in a way, both those questions are irrelevant. The question is, is it true? Is it right? And so if if I can lay my presuppositions on the table and say, yes, I have them, here's what they are. Am I being honest with that? Will my presuppositions help me or hurt me in pursuit of truth? 
And if they're going to hurt me in pursuit in pursuit of truth, then I need to re-examine them and uh, maybe maybe start over again. If they're going to help me, then how are they going to help me? What are they going to you know? How's this going to bring me to a greater understanding of what's true and what's right? So I think it's a great passage to kind of illustrate three different attitudes. Yeah that you find toward God and his word and, and how that really illustrates the problem of presuppositions as well. I've often thought about Acts 17 in that light. I've heard you share that before, and it's been really helpful for me to kind of sort out, okay, what am I really looking for when I think about what is truth? What am I really yearning for? Am I yearning for something that will just rubber stamp what I already believe? That's the old or just kind of tickle my ears with something that's really interesting, something I haven't heard before, that would be the new, or am I looking for what God has already said and what he has revealed about himself? So that's been helpful for me. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about, about presuppositions. We talked about how presuppositions might affect the way um, a skeptic or an unbeliever would approach scripture but what about for someone who is a believer? I mean, we mentioned that all of us have them, even those of us who are Christians. So how, how do presuppositions affect our reading of Scripture, and how might they get in the way? Well, and again, that, that to me kind of brings us back full circle to Luke 10, because when the lawyer asked Jesus, you know, about eternal life, and Jesus says, well, you know, what, what does it say? How does it read to you? And, and he actually answers correctly, love God love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus simply says, basically, that's right. Now, now go do it. <laughs> <laughs> so the lawyer says, well, well, who is my neighbor? Mm -hmm. There's something buried in his mind that basically thought, you know, because the text says he, he was wishing to justify himself. To me, that, that's the critical issue here. Am I, am I seeking to justify myself in my reading of Scripture? Or am I looking for how I can better draw near to God and do what he wants me to do? Uh, that's not an easy answer mm -hmm. uh, because I, I'm sure there are times I've, I've gone to the Bible and I've thought, I'm, I'm going to justify my approach to this, or I'm going to justify my position on that. I, I, don't, I don't think that in my head, but after it's over, I realize that's probably what I did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, so it can affect us in that, in that we're, we're seeking to justify ourselves in our, in our previous positions, or we are actually listening to God so that we can draw near. And it may be that my position was correct all along, but I have to, I still have to be willing to look at it with fresh eyes as much as possible and realize that often it's not so much that my position is incorrect as much as my attitude toward doing it. And, and those are two different things. The, the lawyer's position was correct. You know, mm -hmm. he, he gave the right answer, but he was unwilling to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have to really examine ourselves and, and realize that you know, I might say, well, yeah, yeah, that's what it says. And that's the correct position. But maybe in my case, there's, there's something else going on here. And um, that's a danger. Yeah, we've been, I think, all around this kind of last part of that question, 
and even just that last part to maybe just summarize what we've been talking about for the past few minutes, the idea that we want to let God's word shape us rather than us shaping God's word. You know, the idea that we're the clay, he's the potter, not us taking his word and trying to, like we've talked about, put a rubber stamp on it. And rather than, you know, just saying, just go do it. What's the, the summation answer for how do we ensure that we're letting God's word shape us and not the other way around? Well, it, it, it's hard to get any more, <laughs> any more yeah. you know, general, but I mean, you know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells about the wise man and the foolish man for a reason, right? He says, those who hear and do versus those who hear and don't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you'd have to look at the specific passage, I suppose, and say, what is it that he wants us to do with this uh, particular principle or this passage here? Uh, and am I doing it? Uh, or do I look for ways to, you know, do I immediately jump to a, uh, yeah, but, or do, or do I let it sink in a little bit and say, am I really following this principle? Uh, I think ultimately that's something that everybody's just going to have to, you know, in their hearts, they're going to have right. to dig in and say, am I really being honest about this? Yeah. The summary yeah. isn't necessarily the easy answer. It's the you know, are we it's being honesty, wise or are we it's being honesty. And, it's and honesty. I, and I would just, yeah. I, I've often said about Luke 10, uh, that the point of the parable really isn't about compassion, although that is a lesson. Mm-hmm. The point is about honesty. Are you honest with the text? Are you honest with what you know it says? Mm. And that to me is, is where it kind of hurts because there are times I know I've looked at the text and I know what it says, but I haven't been honest about my own heart and whether or not I've done it. And that's, that to me is the hard part. You know, if you were to ask, for example, what, what is the hardest command I've, I've long said for me, the hardest command is like Luke nine twenty three. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. My self will gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And so I have to take steps to, to try to ensure that that doesn't happen because self rears its ugly head and says, no, this is what I want. I yeah. suspect I'm not the only one who has that problem. <laughs> um, You're very right, right so, about that. But, yes. but it, all I'm saying is that, that it requires an honest approach to come to the word of God and say, whatever this teaches me, that's what I need to do. Rather yeah. than to say, you know, I, as, a, as a generally, I'll take the word of God, but, you know, there may be things I decide not to do with it. So it becomes a good guide, maybe. Mm-hmm. And not really my authoritative uh, starting point. Yeah. And, and that's assuming, of course, that you're reading and interpreting it correctly. That, that's, I mean, there are obviously <laughs> things in there that yeah. you would say, well, now, wait a minute, why aren't you building an ark? Well, you know, <laughs> you, you look at things contextually and understand. But, right. um, but when, when push comes to shove, am I being honest is the question. Yeah. So as we start to round this out, we have a, a few more questions that we didn't give you ahead of time, but these are kind of fun questions off the cuff, but we usually start with a question that Jeff and I built this podcast around. When we first started this, we were hearing a lot about deeper Bible study, and we wanted to know more about what that meant. So this question we ask everybody we interview, what does deeper Bible study mean to you? Well, in in that sense of knowing God, it it means that I'm drawing near to him. But when I back up and ask, well, how, how's that going to happen? When I look at the Bible as a whole, 
uh, we mentioned earlier the concept of connections. One of the things that has excited me about Bible study over the years, and even more so as I get older, is, is seeing connections that I didn't see before. Mm-hmm. The, the connecting the dots between Old and New Testament uh, issues, for example, or, or how the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, things like that will, will take us beyond a surface level of, of study. Uh, because there are some deep-seated connections that are that are often there that we might miss on our first reading of something. So when I go back and reread again, I, I like to see uh, those echoes and allusions and connections that are there. Along those lines, I might uh, recommend looking at a book like the Echoes uh, in the in the Gospels by uh, Richard Hayes. So you see those connections reading backwards and seeing how, how these things happen. To me, that's, that's exciting because it, it, it gets you to think on a deeper level. But I think, you know, again, it, it's not just reading to get excited about something. It's, it's yeah. reading so that you are coming to a better understanding of, of God and how that impacts your relationship with him. I'll say as someone who follows your writings and stuff on Facebook. I hope that not to put responsibilities on you. I hope that someday a book or something comes out with all your illustrations you make at times. I know sometimes you have charts and diagrams and they're very thought provoking for me. And, you know, it starts with a thought like that, but I, I hope like you mentioned that it is leading me closer to the Lord. So if well, you need I, a sponsor I, for that, I, I can throw you two I, bucks. Yeah. The last time I taught Romans, I set out to just chart the whole thing out. I don't know if anybody else understands my charts, but they help me yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. put things in order and kind of just illust- you know, show the way I think about it. Yeah. But, but even studying a book like that, just seeing the interconnections throughout scripture helped mm-hmm. me come to a much better grasp, I think, of, of the book. And I want to go back again and do the same thing. Same thing with teaching Revelation the, la- the last time I taught that. It just astounds me every time I read it and study it, how many connections there are. And, and it's, they're just everywhere. <laughs> the phrase, phrase after phrase after phrase is there uh, to show connections. And, and that, you know, to me, what helps me practically by seeing that is it really shows me that, you know, this, this is what God's intention was uh, for his people. So in Revelation, I look at it and say, you know, what is it that brings about the victory in Christ? Well, it's not physical warfare. It's the blood of the lamb. Yeah. Um, Jesus shows up on a, on a white horse and he's got, you know, the, the sword in his mouth and, and his, his robe is dipped in blood. Well, whose blood is that? Well, it's not the blood of his enemies. It's his own blood. And that's how victory comes. So victory looks very different. And I think I think a, a study of a book like that here and now in this age, in this culture with all the politics going on is huge for Christians. Yeah. Speaking of books of the Bible, what is your favorite book of the Bible? Oh, I don't even know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. A lot of folks uh, say it's whatever they're teaching. Whatever I've studied right last. Now. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so and, you, and in some ways, yeah. you know, having just said that, I, I might I might say, well, something like Revelation, because of how it ties the whole story together mm-hmm. uh, and brings us to the very end. Uh, it's kind of the capstone of, of all of it. But, uh, you know, 
there's no revelation without the rest of it. So that's right. Uh, you know, yeah, the Bible is 66 books, but it's also a story that is interconnected in, in so many ways. I just, I think about it like a beautiful tapestry mm -hmm. interwoven throughout and connecting throughout. And, and sometimes all we need to do is step back and look at that entire tapestry and just see how beautiful it looks. Mm -hmm. And it, it inspires me to go back and read it again and do it again and find, find more because it's, it's a treasure house. What about a favorite character? If you had to pick one and, and our caveat is always, you can't pick God or Jesus. <laughs> oh my. Um, that that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I think in a lot of ways I identify with a Timothy uh, not so much in my youth anymore, but because that is my first name, but, uh, no, I just, I just, I, I identify with kind of the idea that, that here's a, a young man trying to go into this work of preaching and teaching and he's struggling maybe. And, you know, you've, you've got some older wise guy, wiser guy, I should say, uh, <laughs> saying, here's, this, here's this advice. Let me tell you what to do with it and how to, how to approach it. And, and so, you know, the books of first, second Timothy Titus have just been a mainstay for me uh, yeah. over the years. And, um, you know, Timothy was just kind of one of those characters I would, I would love to meet. Mm -hmm. you know, I'd love to meet them all, but you know, yeah. Uh, of the lesser ones, perhaps uh, Timothy would be one I'd, I'd love to meet. We should try to end with a question that, uh, will get us chuckling a little bit. Someone that we both know uh, tells me that uh, you enjoy playing Halo with your family <laughs> and, and that you're particularly ruthless at, at one particular kind of weapon. You want to elaborate a little bit? Well, you know, if I can't have eternal bombs, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, th this goes, this goes back long and deep. Um, because I, I named a, my, my character that I was used was, was named Willie Cook. And I got that out of a Dick Van Dyke episode. So um, <laughs> then, then it became uh, more of an adjective uh, to describe, you know, what, what I would do, you know. So <laughs> as, as I was being uh, slaughtered on the field, I would let off my sling of bombs and kill somebody. So, um, <laughs> you know, then, then they was described as, you know, I, I, I he Willie cooked me, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's there for the entertainment, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I can't stay alive long enough in those games to do anything. So <laughs> the last ditch effort, huh? I, 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 I bow to the uh, uh, capabilities of my children and their ability to play video games over me. So, <laughs> you know, cause I grew up on Atari uh, Pong and you know, that kind of thing. So a little bit different handling little, little graphics. Different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Moore, we appreciate your time today and just uh, sharing your thoughts with us and encouraging us in our reading of scripture. Uh, just I'm glad that we'd be able to sit down with you and to, um, hopefully encourage our audience as well and uh, pray God's blessings on you and your teaching again and, and all that you do in your family in the uh, upcoming year and, and all of that. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, 
always hope we can say something or do something that'll encourage uh, somebody along these lines. All I can do is kind of share my process and uh, how it's helped me. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So Emerson, what was your one thing from our conversation with Dr. Moyer? I think it was really helpful for me just to step back and and look at the reading scripture with the perspective of knowing God and knowing his authority. So I know that's not really specific, but it was really helpful to just be reminded of the simple fact that God has revealed his mind to us. And in order to know him, to draw closer to him, and it's not just about having facts, but it's about knowing and drawing closer to the heart of God. Again, that's not very specific, but it, it was a very helpful episode from that angle. Yeah. What about you? Well, he talked about that book by Richard Hayes. And I haven't read this book yet. It's on my continue to grow to read list of reading backwards. And he just talked about the idea of, you know, you read something like the Gospel of Luke and you get to the end there and you see Jesus talk about how he opened his mind or opened the minds of the men to see or opened the eyes of the apostles to see, you know, how he fulfills the scripture. It's kind of like, oh, and then you go back and you look at the beginning of Luke, or you even go back to the Old Testament and you see more of those things along the way. Between that and between just some things and some other podcasts and stuff I've read, that's been a thought that I've been trying to lean much more into and something that just was really helpful to hear him reinforce today as well. And so our listeners, we want to leave you with our question usually. After interviews, what was your one thing? That's your challenge for today. What was your one thing that you found helpful or challenging in our episode today? Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. On our next episode, we'll release one of our difficult passages topics that are suggested by one of our listeners, Tiffany. We'll be talking about Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis chapter 32. Looking forward to that next week. Until then, If there are other topics or questions or books of the Bible you'd like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.